Father, we, uh, we give you thanks and praise for even as we've prayed through this song that we just sung, that you would have mercy on us because of your steadfast love. Uh, we know that that's a, a prayer that you continually, continually answer in our lives. We thank you for the mercy that is ours in Jesus Christ, your son. And Lord, we, we thank you, God, that we who deserved your wrath and your justice instead have received uh, your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Father, for making peace with us through your Son. Thank you for his once and for all payment on the cross for our sins. Lord, please forgive us as we, day by day, we, we fall short. We miss the mark of your holy and righteous standard. And the things we think and the things we say, things we do. God, and yet each day that we live and each day that we walk with you, we're reminded again and again of your abundant and overwhelming mercy and a grace and love towards us. We thank you, we praise you, and we thank you that you give us the grace of your word that equips us, that reminds us of, of how much we need you. Reminds us of that the truth that you are our God. We are your people because you've saved us. As we open up your book now, we pray that your spirit would teach us, guide us into your truths. Help us to know you more. Help us to love you more, Lord. Help us to show our love for you by our love for our neighbor. God, we pray that you continue to shape and mold this church. Continue to help us to grow into the body of Christ that you wish us to be like, so that we would be your instruments through which the gospel goes forth into our world. Uh, Lord, we pray that you be glorified uh, now through the proclamation of your word, praying that, praying that your spirit would teach us and uh, lead us into your truths. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15 is where we'll be this morning. We're continuing our series in Numbers. And uh, just as a, an FYI, in the next, um, about the next month and month and a half or so, we're going to have a lot of different uh, guest preachers or just different people here. Uh, so we'll be kind of, I think I'll get one more time somewhere between here and the next month and a half. But the, the rest of the weeks, we've just, is kind of a, uh, uh, the providence of God. We have these uh, missionaries coming back, so we'll be having some missionaries coming to speak here uh, a couple weeks, two weeks at least. Uh, we have some of our um, and just scheduled uh, staff speaking as well. So it's kind of a, a nice change for us, and I hope that encourage you. Uh, for those of you that come here because of me, <laughs> that's preaching here, that uh, that you would stop that. <laughs> that you you come here because of Jesus. Uh, that and that hopefully whoever stands in the pulpit and, and that you would trust me and the leadership here that we would uh, invite only those who uh, are faithful ministers of God's word that they would come here and they preach God's word to you and that you would find a blessing in uh, the word of God because it doesn't matter who uh, is standing here it matter, matters what book and who we are pointing to in this word so uh, I pray that just kind of let FYI that's what's going to happen next couple weeks it has been a surreal sort of a week, I think, of those of you that follow the news. Uh, certainly uh, the news of the, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has been on the minds of our world. It's, it's been on the news all the time. And certainly I hope that uh, we, uh, are, as a church, have been, uh, who are so far, we are so far away from uh, the, the fighting that uh, what we can do is that we can be praying, and hopefully you've been praying for uh, the, the countries of Ukraine and, and the country of Russia too. Uh, uh, there are people, in believers in both countries, obviously. The God's people are there. They, they uh, are, uh, you know, there may be 
uh, even among the soldiers, uh, Christian soldiers fighting against Christian soldiers uh, for the sake of their country. Um, but pray that, uh, well, that God's mercy would go forth, that uh, more than important than uh, wars, wars exist because, well, people want, they cannot have. So that's kind of just, that's just James. It's just really what it reflects. It's sin. Uh, and so pray that in the midst of sin that the gospel go forth because that's what uh, the people, that's what uh, the nations of Russia, Ukraine need. It just says that's what the United States needs and that's who, who we need really. Uh, there's ways you can you know, participate. I've seen the emails go forth also. If you want to participate in, in helping out some of the Ukrainian uh, brethren, uh, you can give through those ways financially. <clears throat> uh, but uh, but just uh, that's uh, that's something that's on our thoughts and hopefully a, a word in light of that. It uh, it seems in light of uh, that it seems almost far away a long time ago that we had the Olympics in light of what's taken place past week. Uh, I don't know if you followed the Olympics. Maybe you boycotted it. You didn't want to watch it. Maybe you're not interested in it anymore. Uh, it's just uh, but uh, Olympics happened a little while ago and there was uh, probably the <clears throat> the uh, the, one of the headlines of the Olympics was the, basically the, the doping scandal from the Russian uh, figure skater, right? And she was, uh, after the uh, short program, was leading and was almost was about to win gold. Um, and, uh, but uh, then uh, because it was just found out that she, was, uh, she had been taking some kind of heart medication, uh, it, it was possible that she wasn't going to skate. But for whatever reasons, they allowed her to continue skating. And uh, this young, she's only a 15-year-old girl, uh, but uh, she was skated. And then in the long program, which is the, the main part program, she, she ended up falling twice. And so instead of meddling, not getting gold, not even getting silver or bronze even, she finished in fourth place. And uh, I think what was interesting, just in light of, uh, if you've read the news about it, is that uh, when she came off, this, when she came off the, the rink and, and she went to the, uh, the place where she was supposed to wait, her coach, uh, there, there was reports about what her coach said to her. And her coach's words were, were at least to probably the average ear might sound, uh, were super harsh. You know, they were like, oh, why'd you, why did you uh, give up? You know, how did you, you know, somewhat critical. I mean, of course, uh, maybe that's just part of what professional skating is like. But the, the words seemed kind of uh, a little too strong, and, and uh, even the president of the IOC was critical of that coach. Um, you know, and it reminds us of, you know, how, how important, how uh, critical the words that we hear are at, at those moments of failure. We, none of us are probably here Olympic, you know, skates, professionals, but I think all of us here know failure. All of us know times in our lives where we've really blown it, where we've really failed, uh, whether sin or whether an accomplishment or whether something we're trying to do at work or a job or uh, something in our personal relationships with marriage, with our children, and we really feel like we've, we've blown it. And we get that place where we completely failed, and uh, hopefully at those moments, uh, you, you, when you are most uh, at your lowest, that the words that your loved ones, the people around you, the people that are closest to you, would speak to you at that moment would be exactly what you need to hear. Would be words that not necessarily, would hopefully not be words that would tear you down even further because you can say those words yourself, I'm sure. But that'd be words that would encourage, that would take you from right where you're at and, and lift you up. Say, it's going to be Okay. It's words that, you know, you kind of hear, low, you know, that just remind you that it's okay when you fall. It's okay when you fail. They remind us and they teach us to, to get up. They teach us to get up. They teach us to try again. And we learn from our failures. And then words like that, rather than words of reproof. In today's passage, we are at the moment in history of the, of the nation of Israel where they have really failed. They've failed the Lord. They've rebelled against the Lord. They rebelled against him not once, but twice in, the, in two days, in fact. And so because of their failure, they are condemned to wander, is, wander the wilderness for 40 years. They're probably greatly discouraged. And so you can imagine what would the Lord say to them? What words would they need to hear? And in our chapter today, it records for us the words that they hear from the Lord 
after their failure at Kadesh Barnea. The land, the Israelites had uh, failed to trust the Lord. They had failed to believe in the Lord. They refused to follow and obey the Lord. Uh, they even preferred uh, to uh, return back to Egypt as slaves. They were, in essence, saying, no, the Lord is not our God. We are our God, and we're going to do whatever we want. But yet, uh, when they were rebuked, reproved, when they were beaten back by the Canaanites and, 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 and condemned to 40 years of wilderness, what would, how would the Israel respond? How would they respond? When God, and whereas they were, God's people were unfaithful, we find that God himself remained faithful. And he would, in his words in chapter 15, encourage uh, the people of God. They would encourage the people of God, reminding them that he will be faithful to his promises, his covenant promise to them, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he will be faithful to them, and he will do what he, what he has promised to do with them. And we're reminded again just of ourselves, just uh, that we all fail. We all uh, will fail the Lord as well. And we're going to make mistakes that, like the Israel, will have lifelong consequences. There are no mistakes that God cannot forgive if you repent and believe in the Lord. You trust, you confess your sins. But there are mistakes that we all make, sins that we commit, that do have lifelong impact. And sometimes the weight and shame of failure is great. That we are tempted to run away. We're even from God and from the people that we love. But the Lord knows his people. The Lord knows you. The Lord loves you. And the Lord would have a word for you. And I pray that many, some of you that are going through failure in life, sins in life, and maybe you're even thinking about running away from God, that this word would encourage you, remind you, that though you are, have, may have failed, and though you have been unfaithful, that God is faithful to you that God loves you and God wants you to remember that he will always be the Lord your God. He sent his son for you and uh, that's what we're going to see today. Let's take a look then at uh, Numbers chapter 15 this morning. We're going to outline this. These are just God's words to Israel after their basically their failure. And we're going to remind three, we're going to find three reminders from God's law. God's going to give his law to them, reminders of his law to them that encourage God's people of his faithfulness to his covenant promises. Or you might even just say three reminders from God's law that encourage God's people that the Lord is still their God. The Lord is still their God. All right, so that's another way of putting it. And let's uh, look then at verses 1 through 21. We see our first reminder from God's law, and that is his gives a, a word of his law on offerings. His law on offerings. And let's read uh, verses 1 to 3 of Numbers chapter 15. First of all, Numbers chapter 15, 1 to 3. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land where you are to live, which I am giving you, then make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow or as a free will offering or in your appointed times to make a soothing aroma to the Lord from the herd or from the flock. We'll stop right there. Just kind of just kind of reading this first three verses. It's it's uh, these are um, these are sort of. Uh, sudden, uh, unexpected words that the Lord would speak. They, they seem abrupt, uh, even, that in light of their failure, they've just been defeated by the Canaanites, and then the next word that the Lord has to say is, uh, when you enter land, hey, make an offering uh, to me. What does his word on offerings have to do with Israel at this moment? We'll answer that, but the first and most important note is what God reaffirms in his words to Israel at this point. His pro- he, what God reaffirms is to them is his promise. His promise to give the sons of Israel the land. In fact, it's the first thing he says, when you enter the land, as they're wandering towards the wilderness, walking away from the promised land towards the Red Sea, he says, when you enter the land where you are to live, which I am giving to you, 
So God reminds them that he, they would receive the promised land. Although the first generation had sinned, and the consequence is that they would not enter the promised land. We saw that in chapter 14. God has said that he had promised that in verse, chapter 14, verse 31, that, he, that their children, the second generation, would enter the promised land because God would bring them there. He would bring them to the promised land. Now, between chapter 14 and 15, we, we don't know how much time has passed. In fact, the next date that we're going to find in the book of Numbers is going to be around uh, the 38th year as they are about entering into the, the promised land, or the 40th, actually, right at the 40th year, excuse me. But in that time of Israel's wandering from, from this point on, sometime after the, that second year to that 40th year, sometime in there, uh, there's, there's like, there's, God speaks these words. And it's likely throughout, uh, <clears throat> throughout their time as they wandered the wilderness, there were moments when Israel, in the middle of the desert, while there's shepherds, shepherds over the animals that God gave them, uh, they're probably wondering if God would remember his promises. But God in his word reminds them that he will keep his promises, that when you enter the land, not if you enter the land, but it's when you enter the land. It's not if you'll go to heaven, it's when you will go to heaven. It is the promises of God are, are sure. And what he's promised he will do and he keeps God speaks here in such a way that assumes and affirms that one day the people of God, the people of Israel, will enter the land where they will live. And when that time comes, then, then God says to them, when that time comes, you are going to be reminded that I brought you in there when you, by bringing your offerings. He wants to remind them, by bringing your offerings to me, bring your sacrifice to me when you enter the land, as a, to remind, to, so they they would give out of remembrance of the blessings that God gives. And God expects here to, for them to give various types of offerings, burnt offerings, etc., that we see here. And they're, but they're given as a soothing aroma to the Lord. The first time we see that phrase, soothing aroma to the Lord, is actually in Genesis chapter 8. It's, it's, uh, it's after uh, the, uh, basically the flood. And uh, Noah offers up a soothing, an offering to the Lord, a soothing aroma to him. And that it reminds us that God is that God is, has shows wrath has has just has a just wrath against sin, but those who repent, those who respond to Him rightly and, and offer in obedience, offering sacrifices, the appropriate sacrifices, can are there's a way to appease the Lord to to propitiate His wrath is another way of saying it. Their offerings are a reminder that they are to, as a people of God, when they enter the land, to worship him, to worship him rightly, the one who saved and delivered them. Now, it's, it's kind of odd, again, we're back to the question of why offerings at this moment. Back in Leviticus chapters 1 to 7, in fact, all Leviticus, but especially chapters 1 to 7, God had already given very specific instructions about offerings. You, you want to know about offerings? You, you should study Leviticus 1 to 7. Those are all the various offerings, very key uh, 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 chapters on offerings. But God here gives special emphasis on, on these offerings, and he tells them to bring offerings. But you'll note as we, as we read on, he gives, puts particular emphasis on what is to accompany these animal sacrifices, these, these offerings. We'll look at verse 4 to 12. The one who presents his offering shall present to the Lord a grain offering of one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of oil. And you shall prepare wine for the drink offering, one-fourth of a hin with the burnt offering, or for sacrifice for each lamb. Or for a ram, you shall prepare as a grain offering two-tenths of an ephah of the fine flour mixed with one-third of a hin of oil. And for the drink offering, you shall offer one-third of a hin of wine as a soothing aroma to the Lord. When you prepare a bull as a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow or for peace offerings to the Lord, then you shall offer with a, the bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-half a hin of oil. And you shall offer as the drink offering one-half a hin of wine as an offering by fire, as a soothing aroma to the Lord. We'll read through verse 12. Uh, Thus it shall be done for each ox or for each ram or for each of the male lambs or of the goats according to the number that you prepare so that you shall do for everyone according to their number. All... Mm. We'll stop right there. So there's a lot of details, a lot of numbers here, but if you can just kind of put those numbers aside, just kind of to look at the big picture what's said here. 
depending upon what kind and what number of animals you give, the Israelite worshiper was also to offer with it an accompanying grain offering. That's the, that's the grain mixed with, uh, uh, grain mixed with, with oil. That's a grain offering. And an accompanying drink offering. That's the, the, the wine that's offered. Um, and, uh, and while mentioned in Leviticus, this is the first time the, the grain offering and the drink offering are explicitly mentioned as being offered alongside every animal sacrifice. Uh, different animals seem to have different amounts of grain kind of commensurate to the size of the, of the animal, uh, as well as a commensurate, uh, different drink offering commensurate to the animal. But, but the main point here is that now along with each animal sacrifice, God wants him to offer up a grain offering and a drink offering. And the grain, off, the grain offering and the drink offering are different from the animal offerings because the animal offerings involved a life, right? Blood that was given, blood that was shed. And that was, you know, very important because, you know, all sin required the payment of death. But why a grain offering? Why a drink offering? And sacrifice they have, there's no blood in it. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So what's, what's up with the grain offering and drink offering? That's a great question. Why is this God tells them to offer this? Because each time the worshiper made their offerings of animal sacrifice, the accompanying offerings reminded them that the Lord had promised and given them the land in which they lived and which produced the grain, and which produced the grapes, from which they then gave back to the Lord. The grain and the grapes are a reminder of the land. It's from the land that the grain comes. It's from the land that the grapes come. It's from the land that they give back to the Lord. And who gave them the land? The Lord their God. That's why God now emphasizes, you know, when you give your offerings, there's going to be this accompanying reminder that I brought you into your land that I'm going to bring you into that. And that's what he does. Now, in addition to what is accompanying the offering, God speaks to who can make this offering then. Verse 13 and following, uh, we, all who are native shall do these things in this manner. In presenting an offering by fire as a soothing aroma to the Lord, if an alien sojourns with you or one who may be among you throughout your generations, and he wishes to make an offering by fire as a soothing aroma to the Lord, just as you do so, he shall do. As for the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the alien who sojourns with you, a perpetual statute throughout your generations. As you are, so shall the alien be before the Lord. There is to be one law and one ordinance for you and for the alien who sojourns with you. So whether you're an Israelite, whether you're an alien sojourner, someone who, who basically is not an Israelite but wants to travel, wants to live among Israel, wants to be among them, Anyone among those people who wishes to worship the Lord may do so, God says, in accordance with the law. You want to, it, the offerings that are their sacrifice are not just limited to Israelites. Anyone who, alien who wishes to worship the Lord may do so also according to God's law. So this reminds, and, and when, by God saying this, he's reminding Israel again of their special role that they were to have when God brings them into land. That Israel was to have, he was because I promised, he promised Abram to bring him to a land and where he was, will he make him a great nation and there will he will bless him so that what? So that he could be a blessing to all the families of the earth, right? And so he's reminding the Israelites of their special role, not to be an exclusive community, community but to be an evangelistic community, to tell, to be a, a source of, of light to the world. And God says this because there was likely that ongoing bitterness against those who were foreigners, those who were different. And every, no matter who, there's, there's always this specter of racism in, in our world. You know, no matter what color of skin you are, you know, because our sins are, our, our hearts are sinful, there's always this kind of natural tendency to, to look with, with suspicion, to look with criticism of those who are different. And that's, it happens throughout. And that's what probably continue to happen in Israel. They, they blame probably the, the foreigners for causing the grumbling that which they were judged in the wilderness. They're probably grumbling. There's still maybe among them some who might have grumbled about Moses' wife who was, a, who was not an Israelite. But God reminds them, the Lord reminds them that all who wish to worship the Lord are welcome. They're welcome. And I just, in light of this, I was just thinking of a, just a sort of a, an application for us today. And, and I know that many of you are, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of you are tired of hearing about COVID. I, I know even in my application sermon, I, I, you probably are. Uh, it's been two years and going on. And, and we're thank God that the you know, restrictions are coming down and all that. Uh, but I, I just, 
but, but every once in a while, I still hear in, in our world today that, you know, there's a, there's a, if, you're, if you're vaccinated, you, you do this. If you're unvaccinated, you, you, you can't do that. You got you to do this. So it's like there's two rules, two laws, one for vaccinated, one for unvaccinated. And, and I understand maybe in certain settings where, uh, where medical care is given, perhaps uh, where it's critical to the care that's received. I understand that maybe those, those times where it's necessary, and, but in general, to, to say, to deny, uh, to treat people differently because of their VAC status, refusing service, refusing, you know, you can't get a surgery because you're not vaccinated, etc., and the like. That, that may be what the world does. But I hope as a church, we will never refuse service to anyone because of their vaccinated or unvaccinated, whether they're masked or unmasked whether they social distance or not, that all who desire to worship the Lord may do so, may do so freely here. There's one law for the vaccinated and the unvaccinated light. One law, one God. There's one last additional law and offering in verse 17 and 21. And there we read in verse 17 and 21, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land where I bring you, then it shall be that when you eat of the food of the land, you shall lift up an offering to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall lift up a cake as an offering. As the offering of the threshing floor, so you shall lift it up. From the first of your dough, you shall give to the Lord an offering throughout your generations. Again, we see the emphasis here on entering the land. Uh, when, when they start to enjoy the harvest land, the Lord says to them, they were to, and when they harvested the wheat, and then they made that dough, that first dough that they would ever make from their harvest, God says they were to make an offering of that from that first dough. In fact, the very first cake that they will ever make from that dough was to be offered to the Lord, presumably through, through the prophets. Later in Numbers 18, we find that uh, the, these first fruit offerings, uh, even including the, of the dough, were to be given to the priests for them to consume and to live on. But this is a, we see here reflected this principle of first fruits. The, the first of one's fruits were to be offered to the Lord. But this dough, this, again, this, it's this wheat that's grown, this grain that's grown that, from which they made bread, is, is a reminder of them of the land. That they're with their giving, that they give their animals to the Lord in sacrifice. But this, even the dough, that cake, you know, every, every housewife, you know, it's just, it make, as they're making that, you know, that first cake, you know, from the, the wheat that is harvested, that they set that cake aside as something that they're going to give to the Lord. It's an act of worship, a reminder to them of the land that the Lord had given them. Though Israel would wander the wilderness for 40 years, God's law on offerings encouraged them. It's a constant reminder to them that the Lord would bring them into the land. Their offerings would remind them that God gave them the land. God knows uh, what their people need. Uh, they're cons- they are, as they're wandering, they're going to be wondering, will we ever go back into the land? And maybe for you and I, we might not be thinking about any particular land, but we are sometimes think about salvation in that term. I know for, for myself and probably for you at times in our life when you've sinned and when you fall short of God's standard and when you're experiencing God's discipline, God's loving discipline, by the way, that you may be questioning, oh, Lord, am I going to lose my salvation? Am I, am I not going to make it to heaven? Are you, you know? And there may be those doubts, especially as young Christians. But God keeps his promises. God is faithful to his promises. And he reminds, and he, he reminds the Israelites here that he, when, it is a matter of when they enter the land. And the laws that he gives them on offerings is a law meant to remind them that God gives them the land. Well, not only does he uh, give them those law and offerings, but the Lord knows that, well, he's, they're not going to keep these laws. The Lord knows the heart of every man and woman and child. He knows that they're not going to fail. And so in his second set of laws that he gives, he gives a law on sin, his law on sin. Again, a reminder to them of God's faithfulness or God's faithfulness to a covenant and really uh, that the Lord is their God. We'll read 22 through 29. But when you unwittingly fail and do not observe all these commandments which the Lord had spoken to Moses, even all that the Lord had commanded you through Moses, from the day when the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations, 
Then it shall be, if it is done unintentionally, without the knowledge of the congregation, that all the congregation shall offer one bull for a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord, with its grain offering and its drink offering according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering. Then the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and they will be forgiven. For it was an error, and they have brought their offering, an offering by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their error. So all the congregation of the sons of Israel will be forgiven with the alien who sojourns among them, for it happened to all the people through error. Also, if one person sins unintentionally, then he shall offer a one-year-old female goat for a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who goes astray when he sins unintentionally, making atonement for him that he may be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among the sons of Israel, and for the alien who sojourns among them. Whether the laws on offerings or, or any of the laws that the Lord had given Moses from Mount Sinai, God knows that, the, that with Israel, with the people of God, that the matter is not if they would fail, it's simply when they fail. That among, there is no one who continually does uh, good and, and does, never sins, and uh, all of us fall short of the glory of God. There's not a single one of us that never, that <clears throat> lives a perfect righteous life before the Lord. We all will fail, and Israel does the same. It's a matter of when. And the real question is really whether these Israelites or the people of God will sin unintentionally or intentionally. Verse 24 to 29 detail how to make atonement for sin when it is unintentional, when it's, when it's a mistake, when it's an error, when it's by accident, or when it's a, uh, we might, just thinking ourselves, just basically when, when things, when you do things out of carelessness, because you're careless, or out of a uncontrollable, you know, your, your emotions are un, kind of unchecked, uncontrolled, and you do something, uh, a crime of passion or, or something like that. It's unintentional. It's not premeditated, for instance. Of course, all sin, and, and ultimately we're all culpable for our sin, we're, we, no matter even if we thought about it beforehand or not, um, but there are elements, and there's aspects, and God allows for this difference of that which is unintentional and that which is intentional. And so no matter whether this unintentional sin is committed by the congregation, the, uh, the nation as a whole, or by an individual, whether the guilty is an Israelite, whether the guilty is an is, as a alien sojourner, Unintentional sins that they commit, God tells them, are to be atoned for by the offering of animal sacrifice, by a sin offering, is what Leviticus talks about. The sacrifice of animals for a sin offering was simply a reminder to Israel that sin leads to death, that all sin leads to death. When sin entered the human race, sin led to the death of Adam and Eve. And death that's not just physical, but it's death that's spiritual. That when we die, we will be separated. Without, apart from God's grace and mercy, we'll be separated from him forever our soul, in, uh, in, in judgment. It's because holy God, our holy God, cannot simply ignore sin or he would not be just. He would stop being God if he not, does not punish sin. But he's also, thank God, he's a God of mercy and love. And so he makes a way for there to be sin to be punished while offering forgiveness. And here he tells them, teaches them to offer an animal, an animal sacrifice. We know that Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But we know also in Hebrews that ultimately there was no blood, no blood of bulls or goats could ever take away the sins of man. They were simply temporary. They were offered in faith as a temporary payment for atonement for sins that ultimately would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, of course. And that's for unintentional sins, what God tells them. But what about the laws for when Israel sins intentionally? We find that in verse 30 and following all the way to 36. We see it, uh, an example of it even. But the person who does anything defiantly, whether he is a native or an alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt will be on him. Now while the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. 
and they put him in custody because it had not been declared what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. person here who sins defiantly, he said. Uh, literally, uh, defiantly means uh, with a, uh, a hand that is lifted up or a hand that's raised. It's like uh, with a, a high hand, is sometimes what we say in the English, he, uh, as, as how this person has sinned. This one who, knowing what the Lord has commanded, still deliberately, defiantly uh, disobeys the Lord's command. Such a one, whether an Israelite, whether a soldier, an alien, according to God, was to then to be cut off from Israel. He was to be killed. He was to be excommunicated, put outside, and then killed. He was to be killed because, according to God here, he is one who has blasphemed the Lord. And when, you, when someone sins and, and sins with a high hand, knowing what God has said, and then still uh, willingly does not, the opposite of what God says, basically that person is blaspheming the Lord by saying, God, you are not a God who needs to be obeyed. You are not my God that I need to follow you. I willingly defy your commands. But that is, would be, that is a blasphemy because God is your God. By the very virtue of creation, he is your God. He's the only true God and he deserves to be obeyed and followed whether you know it or not. But one who knows that this God, who knows that this God exists and yet willingly defies his commands is sins intentionally. He has despised God's word is what, he says, is what the word says. He has broken God's command and he deserves to be put to death. And then right on cue in verse 32 and 36, we see this, an example of such a very such situation in the people of Israel, among the people of Israel. A man was found one day gathering wood on the Sabbath. Now, I know for you and I today, that is not something that shocks us. Uh, but if I could just put it to you um, in today, uh, it would be like this. Uh, for us, you know, it's, it's, it, was, it was a sin that was deserving of death. On, uh, it was for us, it would be equivalent to someone on a certain day, on Sunday, someone was murdering someone else. So on, on a certain day, someone was abusing a child. On a certain day, uh, I know the, the popular sin there, everybody hates it, someone was racist on Sunday. Okay? There's all these sins that we would think are deserving of hate, deserving of death. Well, that's, that's what we read here, though by our modern day time period, we, and because we're in, uh, no longer under law, we've, we've sort of forgotten how serious this violation of God's command was. Exodus 31.14 says that the, the penalty of working on the Sabbath was, was death. It was a death penalty sin. Why? Because the Sabbath was holy, was holy to the Lord God. It was, it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? The Fourth Commandment. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Because why? Because it is, it is a reminder that God created the world. On six days he, he made the world and on the seventh day he rested. And so he allowed man to work six days and then on the seventh day to, he wanted us to rest. He wanted Israel to rest. But this particular individual, knowing God's he was lived on Israel. He was wandering along the wilderness. So he's been with them for this the whole time. He brought out, came out of Egypt. He been went to Mount Sinai. He heard the law. He'd heard Moses. He'd seen everything that's gone on, and yet he defiantly gathers sticks, gathers wood on the Lord's day. He basically and intentionally raises his fist at God. It would be equivalent. Like someone knowing that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for our sins and yet still knowing all that defiantly refuses to confess him as Lord. What will that person receive? That person receives death. And so there's a penalty, the penalty of death for those who would defiantly, knowing God, what God says, intentionally, premeditated, goes and 
sins against the Lord. And this man was, was killed. He was put outside the, and he was stoned by the, by the congregation. And the laws on sin here are given as a warning and encouragement to the sons of Israel of the consequences of rebelling against the Lord. We, we, we who live in a period of grace, we forget the consequences of sin, I think. We, we take for granted that, oh, you know, I got Jesus, so I, can, I, can, I know he'll forgive me if I confess my sins to him. But we're reminded of the passages like this that the consequences for intentionally sinning, rebelling against God is death. It's death, not a physical death, but it's also spiritual death, eternal separation from God. And only because of Jesus do we not experience what we deserve, like this man who picked up sticks on the Sabbath day. Even Israel's unintentional sins, their sins of ignorance, sins of carelessness, sins of uncontrolled emotions, all of these things must be atoned by the death of an animal, reminding us that ultimately all of us must have our sins atoned by the Lord. He's reminded that Israel is reminded by these laws that they belong to God and therefore they need to obey God's commands. He is their God and they are their people. We read uh, even in our call to worship of the importance of, the, of them to follow the Mosaic law and that God would bless them if they, as they follow the Mosaic law. Um, and that's his, part of that reminder here, his law on sin. There's one final law that is given here in verses 37 to 41 that encourages Israel of God's faithfulness and their need, their need to be faithful to him is that his law on clothes or his law, his law on clothes. And uh, interesting, God has a law on clothes here, uh, verse 37 to 41. We read this interesting. Uh, this is nowhere found, found nowhere else in the Mosaic law. It's only found here. This law is unique, uh, given uh, uniquely to Israel at this moment in time. The Lord also spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. And they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord so as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes after which you played the harlot so that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. God gives here in these verses specific instruction, details on the very clothes, the garments that they as Israelites were to wear. It was to identify them as the people of God. You know, you and I wear clothes today almost as a matter of style, a matter of comfort. You know, it's just a matter of, this is comfortable to me. But here, these Israelites were told to wear clothes for a certain reason. And we know, this under, even understand this today, you know, athletes or even fans or soldiers or religious orders, they, they all wear a certain type of clothes. And, and that certain clothes sort of identifies them and marks them off. It, it reminds them of who they are and what they're about. And, but God gives a law, a particular law, uh, here uh, on regarding the, the very the clothes they were to wear. And on the, God instructs them on the, on the very garment, uh, on the corners of their garments, I, I guess there's four corners, I suppose, of their garments, they were each to have a, a tassel, uh, and the, well, a tassel that kind of hangs down from the edge of the, the very corners of their garment. And in that tassel, in each tassel, there was to be a single strand of blue. Blue, sometimes translated violet and some translated, but blue uh, is, the, is the best uh, translation, was a symbol of royalty, is a symbol of divinity uh, in the Bible. In fact, the Ark of the Covenant in Numbers chapter 4, verse 6, was when it was to be transported, was to be covered with a, with a, a blanket of blue, a cloth of blue. The curtains of the tabernacle, which were, uh, which were uh, you know, surrounded the tabernacle, were composed of blue, Exodus 26. The high priest's garments were also uh, blue, Exodus 28. So not surprisingly then that the tassels of the Israelites, the very clothes that they were to wear, uh, they could, you know, just imagine their garment, their robe can be any color, but at the very edges of, of their, their tassels, among them, and not even, it didn't have to be the whole tassel, it just had to be a single strand in their tassel. So you know, just imagine like a tassel with various strands. There's only one strand, a single strand, had to be blue. 
And that blue strand on the corner of their tassels, other garments reminded them of who they belonged to. That they belonged to God. For the blue was a, reminded them of their God. It's why, if you, by the way, if you look at Israel's flag, it is blue. It's blue. And that blue is that color, blue and white. For Exodus 19.6 reminded Israel that they, were to be a, that they were to be to God a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And verse 39 to 40 explicitly tells Israel that the tassels was a reminder to them of all the commandments of the Lord that they were to obey and to keep. So that, what? So that they might be holy to their God. If they forget why the Lord is their God, why Yahweh is their God, then he reminds them even in verse 41, he says to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be your God. Not only is he their God who who created them, but he's the God who saved them. He brought them out of Egypt so that to be their God and that they would be his people. And he says it twice, I am the Lord your God. If you, you know, miss the, the main point of this chapter, it's, it's right there in the last verse. I am the Lord your God. Everything I've said to you is a reminder to you that I am the Lord your God. Everything that we've listened to today, every time we open this book, is a reminder to us that he is the Lord our God. N- not me, not anyone else here, but God is our God. The, the author of this book is our God. That's why we op- listen to his words, and that's why he gives his word to his people. He doesn't give to his word to people who are not his people. He gives it to the people who hear him, who worship him, who know him. He had saved, delivered, protected, provided, and kept his promises to the nation of Israel. And so therefore he asks them, reminds them when they, as they, uh, the garments that they wear, to always wear that strand of blue as a reminder that they belong to God. The law of tassels, the law of these clothes, reminds, uh, served, served to remind the second generation of Israelites that they belonged to the Lord their God, and therefore they were to obey his commands. Now, for the people today, you and I, well, I wore my blue, so you wear your blue? You know, it's kind of like St. Patrick's Day. You always got to have you know, blue on when you come to worship the Lord. No, no, we're not going to go there, okay? That would that'd be, you know, that'd be fun to do. It's a youth, kind of a youth thing, but... God doesn't require that of us today because that's it's the law. It's the Mosaic law, and Jesus came to fulfill the law. Okay, that's why we don't even uh, treat the Sabbath the same way because Jesus fulfilled the law. He is our Sabbath rest, not Sunday. Jesus is our Sabbath. Why don't we need to wear garments that with the blue on top? Because Christ is what we need to put on. The New Testament doesn't speak anything about any clothes we're to wear except for one. Galatians 3.27 tells us that we are to be clothed with Christ through faith in him. Romans 13.14 tells us that we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. So we're to put on Jesus Christ for our salvation, we're to, our justification. We're to put on the Jesus Christ for our salvation, for our sanctification. We're to put on Jesus Christ from the beginning to end, and we're never going to take Jesus Christ off. That's what we're to put on. We're to put on Jesus Christ. We're to put on the clothes of Christ. When people come to worship the Lord, we, we also, <laughs> church is getting debates over what to wear. <laughs> I'm glad we're beyond those days, okay? All right, but, you know, used to be, you know, you go to church, you got to wear your Sunday finest, and there's nothing wrong with that if you do that to the glory of God. You want to do that to the glory of God, you do that to the glory of God. Praise God, you can do it. But if you want to come dressed casually to the glory of God, you can do that too. That's the glory. But it doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter whether you wear your Sunday best or your, your class, except out of personal conviction and conscience. Okay, that, that matters. But what matters, what's important, is that we put on Christ when we enter the worship. Every time when we come on Sunday morning, you think about what you're wearing, you put it on your, your, I put on my suit and tie. Hopefully we're thinking about, am I putting on Christ this morning so I want to make no provision for the flesh? In fact, it's... Clothes are a reminder. In a sense, clothes have been sanctified by the Lord. In fact, who, who made the first set of clothes? God did when he clothed Adam and Eve after their sin. 
And so God, when he gives us clothes, reminds us that we need to be clothed with Jesus Christ. He has his long clothes, reminds them that he is, he is their God. And he is therefore, he's God who saved them, redeemed them, and they therefore need to keep his commands. And that's the same reminder to us as we, he doesn't give us, when he tells us to put on Christ, remember that he is our God through faith in Christ. And we need to keep his commands. To love him with all our being, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Well, these are the laws. I know it's a lot of laws, and hopefully this has been a blessing to you. Just remind you, just these are how to remind the second generation of that the Lord is their God. And they, as we think about them today, and especially in, in kind of the, some of the New Testament equivalents of that, hopefully they remind you and me that, no, we fail, though we, may, uh, we have stumbled in life, that the Lord remains faithful to us, that he is still the Lord your God. And that, these, that we will remember that we, can continue, we ought to continue to strive to, to worship him, to love him, to obey him, to follow him. Uh, just uh, um, as a conclusion, some, some questions for, uh, for discussion for those of you that, uh, that have small groups. Just as a worship God, you know, with regards to the laws, what, what are you offering to him? We don't bring animals. Uh, we don't need any, we, sacrifice is already, that sacrifice has already been paid. But when we bring our offerings to the Lord, when we worship him, what, what offering are we bringing? Think about that. You can discuss about that. Hopefully you bring yourself, if not other, other aspects of your life. Uh, second question, just in light of the law of sin, are there any sins in your life, unintentional, intentional, that you need to be repent of? Uh, all sin leads to death, and therefore we want to strive to keep putting off, uh, putting off sin. Uh, thirdly, what spiritual clothes are you putting on? We're talking about the, the clothes of the Israelites, but what clothes do we put on? And most importantly, have you put on Jesus Christ? If you have not put on Jesus Christ, if you've never thought about, put on, if I've never put on Jesus Christ, that is, believed on Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. See, all of us are sinners before God. But when you put on Jesus Christ, when you believe in Christ, God at that moment, when you put your faith in Christ's death and resurrection, he looks at you and he sees Christ on you. He sees Christ, Christ's righteousness on, in, in your, uh, upon you. And so that when he looks at you, he doesn't treat you with the wrath and justice that you deserve, but he treats you with the, the mercy and grace and love that he has for his son. The love that he has is for his son is the love that he has for you when you are and I are clothed with Christ. So put on Christ if you have not, please. The Lord loves you. He saved his son, his son for you so that you can put on Christ. Uh, and then put on Christ daily for, to, to fight against the sins, the struggle that we wrestle with daily. And then lastly, how does your attitudes towards your offerings, your sins, your spiritual clothes remind you? All these things are meant to remind us that the Lord is our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, time in your word. We've gone through a bunch of laws, Lord. So many that uh, it's easy to get lost in the details, Father. But I pray that you would help us remember that these laws were given to Israel, that second generation particularly, to remind them that you are their God that you, O Lord, O Yahweh, are their God. And Father, we are reminded that you are our God. And we thank you, Father, for your mercy towards us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that in him, we who deserve nothing but wrath and your just punishment have received instead your mercy and grace and your love. Thank you for being such a faithful God to your covenant promises. You're not only the old covenant, but you're faithful especially to the new covenant in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for, your, uh, for these, these laws that we reflected upon and pray that we would think about, meditate upon them, and apply them appropriately to our life today. May you cause us to remember that you are always our God, and therefore we are your people, and that though we fail, our destiny is secure, and that, we would, that as we um, appropriate the ways that you allow us to be forgiven, that we would strive to continually walk in obedience to all your commands. These things we pray in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen.